Father, it is with recognition of your grace and power that I come and ask that you would fill me, fill us, that you would speak to us. It's in Jesus' name, amen. I like, uh, I like tomatoes. Um, and this summer, I've had a lot of tomatoes. Um, I hope you don't mind me bringing a tomato plant into church. So, um, anyone want to guess how old that tomato plant is? Yes. No. Okay, my tomato plant experts. Anyone want to help me out? Six weeks? Two months? Three years? Rad. Have you ever grown tomatoes for the rest of your family? Yeah, actually, Rad is getting closer. No, it, it, is, it is four months old. Um, it has some serious problems. Have you sensed that? I ate a lot of tomatoes this year, but I did not eat tomatoes from this plant, obviously. Um, yeah. I, I wish that I had. Um, Christopher and I are really just wanting to grow something, right? And we're giving our very best shot, but unfortunately, this is what has happened. Um, and, and, and here's, here's why, lest you think us terrible. Um, it's watered. We bought top-of-the-line soil, okay? We went to, was it Mahoney's, right? And then we, we, we've got it, we had good seed. Um, watered it, good seed, good soil. That's all you need, right? Sunlight. <laughs> Sunlight, is that what was necessary? That was the problem. Um, if any of you have seen our backyard, not one portion of our backyard has more sunlight than about three to four hours. So we, I, I did move it a few days in a row to get it six hours worth of sunlight, but that was just a few days over the six-month period, a four-month period. So um, this is what happens when you don't have enough sunlight. Um, yeah, I did some research. Uh, <laughs> some of you say a little bit too late, but I did do some research this week. And uh, I found out that you need at least eight hours if you're going to have flowering vegetables, okay, i.e. cucumbers and zucchini and tomatoes, etc. And um, yeah. Um, also, you need it, the, the, the light to come at the right angle, yeah? Because let's just say you, have, you, you live in the, in the Arctic Circle, right? And there are certain times of the year where you're having... 20 hours of light a year, but it's, it's still kind of at an angle, and it's, there's little issues with it, and you need temperature, and so there's just certain things that are necessary. Um, simply put, sun is necessary to grow fruit. Can't have fruit if you don't have a sun. Uh, kind, of, kind of a simple thing to remember. Our scripture text today was John chapter 8 and verse 12. John 8, verse 12, and uh, again, I want to just draw your attention to it. We're going to stay in John, so if you turn there, we're just going to go to John 9 next. That will be our focus this morning. <clears throat> John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the what? I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the 
light of life. He that follows me shall have the light of life. Okay, so a brief overview. This was spoken at the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus, if any of you like a little bit of an interesting story, here is one. Jesus said these words. He was talking to the leadership there in the temple. And as he was talking to the leadership, um, they started getting a little frustrated with him because he said something. Let me just what it, make sure I have this correctly. Uh, he said, you know what? You should be out of your slavery of sin. You need to be free. And they said, we're not slaves. We've never been slaves to anybody, which is very funny for an Israelite to say because that's happened I don't know how many times to them, right? We've never been slaves to anyone. And he said, um, they said, we are the children of Abraham. He said, if you were the children of Abraham, you would believe what I'm saying. And they said, um, who do you think you are? He said, well, Abraham saw my day and he was glad to see it. And he said, you're crazy. You're not even 30 years old and you're saying that Abraham saw your day? Mm. Not only did he see it, I want to tell you something. Before Abraham was, I am. And when he said that, there was this hush that took place. Because I am was the great name that God gave to Moses to tell the Egyptians, I am that I am. And when he said that, they got angry and, and they took up stones to throw him. And the Bible says that he hid himself and went out. Now remember, this is all in the same discourse where he says in verse 12, I am the light of the world. Now here he is in verse 59, hiding himself and going through so they can't see him. Truly the light was in the world and the darkness was not comprehending it. That being said, there was someone there in the temple who was in darkness, who was about to see light. And that's our story today. John chapter 9 and verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, oh, before I get you what they asked, uh, Please note, who saw whom? Let me try that again. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Who saw whom? Jesus saw the man. Did the blind man see him? No, but he saw the blind man. Do you realize that sometimes when you're sitting in darkness and things don't feel good and right to you, that Jesus can still see you? You may not be able to see him, but he can see you. And here is what's happening with the blind man. Uh, Jesus was looking at him even though he couldn't see Jesus. Um, it says here that he was blind how long? How much of his life was he blind? Blind from birth. Had he ever seen before? So he didn't know what he was missing. Is that fair? He somehow thought blindness I don't want to say that because I don't know because I wasn't there, but he might have felt like this is the way it was. He did not know if you've never lived life in the light of Jesus, you also don't know what you're missing. If you always just lived your life without him, you don't know what you're missing by not having him. You know, too many people haven't gone all the way with Jesus and they have no idea what they're missing is actually a life at a whole nother level. 
I like to share this, and maybe you've heard this many times from other people. When you give yourself 90% to God, you're not going to be happy. But when you give yourself 100%, something takes place. It's a whole nother way of living. It's a whole nother way of thinking. It's a whole nother way of experiencing life. You know, so we get to this picture. Uh, continues on. Jesus sees the blind man from birth. Verse 2 says, And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Uh, the book Desire of Ages makes this interesting statement. It says, It was generally believed by the Jews that sin is a punishment, excuse me, that sin is punished in this life. Every affliction was regarded as a penalty of some wrongdoing, either of the sufferer or of his parents. Um, and I'd like to suggest that sometimes we've got to be careful that we don't think that way ourselves. Have you ever seen someone going through a difficult time and say, man, what did they do? Maybe you don't say that. But subconsciously, I think sometimes we wonder if people have a difficult time and they brought it upon themselves. Don't get me wrong. When laws of life are transgressed, problems happen. We realize that. But difficulties in this life doesn't mean that God's punishing you for sin. So this is what they're believing. And Jesus clarifies that very quickly in verse 3. He says, Neither this man nor his parents sin, but the works of God should be revealed in him. Um, someone once said this. Actually, it's not someone. His name was Charles Spurgeon. Okay, so I was desperate yesterday. Okay. I was looking hard See, I, I, I want to show this plant to you, okay? There, there's, there's a reason I'm coming to the plant. The plant is... And maybe you've done this before, and maybe you have spoken before. Um, but I, I want to use the plant. And yet, at the same time, I'm working on a sermon, and the sermon is like falling flat on its face. Fair enough? Okay? I'm just telling you. So, so I went into my library, and I had this collection of sermons by someone called Charles Spurgeon. He was known as the Prince of Preachers. I thought, I wonder if he said anything on John chapter 9. And he opened it up, and he had a seven-part series on John 9. God bless him. Um, woe to you. That's right. No, I've got to leave in about 15 minutes, so <laughs> blessed art thou. No worries. But um, here is what he said. He said, um, interesting, if I can get it. The necessities of the sinner are the opportunities of the Savior. That's a great one-liner from uh, Charles Spurgeon. The necessities of the sinner, that is the blind man, are the opportunities of the Savior. That is Jesus, the light of life. Um, then he says this phrase that he just said a little bit earlier. He said, I am, this is verse 4, verse 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. With that in mind, let's go into what happens next. Verse 6. And when he had said these things, it says that he then made spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And before we go further, did the blind man ask to be healed? Please note that. There was no, no recognition even of what was beyond. He just simply said, Nothing. He probably was begging for money when he could have been begging for his sight. But he didn't recognize it 
but God saw it. I love this element of God. Sometimes we miss out on it. Um, he said, as he anointed his eyes with that clay. What was the clay made out of? Spit. Wouldn't it have been just a little bit neater if you took a little crystal vase out of your pocket? Beautiful. And then you took off the lid made out of gold or some fancy metal. And then you drop the drop into the eyeball and psh, the light comes and drop it in the other one and the light comes on. Why didn't God do something like that? He could have. But then do you think people's interest might have been more the medicine instead of the doctor? Here he does something totally different. Have you? Uh, it was a neat concept to me. But divine saliva is much more valuable than the most expensive medication on our planet. I felt, no, that's a little raw, but I hope we can handle it, right? What comes from God, no matter what it is, is worth more than what the world can give, no matter how great it is. That's a beautiful thing for us to know. What we value in this life, the value is not in the sparkle or the shine or the temporary pleasure or ease. True value is something that's found in the source. And the source was God. And so that's where the value was. Um, it says next that uh, Jesus says in verse 17, he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Jesus gave him something to do. It didn't just happen. He, was, he had this mud on his eyes, which isn't it interesting that he has more in his eyes now than before. He's going to be able to see less than he was able to see before. And God says, okay, go wash it off. Why didn't God just say, see? He could have. He's done it at other times, but not this time. Go wash yourself. There are some times when God gets us involved with our own healing process. Now, he could have gone to, think about it. I want you to imagine Jesus tells you, you have mud on your eyes. I'd like you to go get the mud off of your eyes. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. And I'm thinking, okay, the pool of Siloam's this way. And of course, that means you need to have some friends help you, right? Because you, you're blind. So you have some friends who are helping you. But wouldn't you just go to the quickest water source? Like the house next door with their basin and their water. Or maybe the pool of Bethesda where the special stirring of the waters takes place. Remember the River Jordan? That's where Naaman got healed. It's obvious that these would be the best places or at least other places. But the healing doesn't come from any water source. The healing comes from the source that God sends you to. I know it sounds specific, but oftentimes God is specific. Please notice this. The healing came in following simple, specific directions. What does that mean for us? In our spiritual darkness today. Yeah, I'm talking about spiritual healing this morning. Is that okay? in our spiritual darkness this morning. 
There are not long, complicated cures. Just simple, specific directions to a life with light. Simple, specific directions. Sometimes I long for something that's complicated. Remember Naaman? Couldn't you just like tell me to climb someplace or do some great trip or say some magic words and put your hand over top of me? Couldn't you do that to clean me? And he said, go wash. Sometimes God asks us to do simple things. Don't be afraid of doing simple things and trusting that God will provide the cure. I'm not talking about physical healing right now. I'm talking about spiritual healing. The Bible says he went, he washed, and he saw. Um, Remember, he had been blind from birth, so he didn't know what he was missing. Can you imagine what it was like to see? Can you imagine what it was like? It's almost like me saying, okay, there is... um, there is a special thing that you can do. It's called jump up in the air 20, 30 feet and hover for about 30 seconds. It's, it's something that all humans can do. And you're like, oh, we must all be sick. Well, yeah, you are. But what if I gave you, uh, this is totally hypothetical illustration, but if all of a sudden you receive the ability to jump up in the air <clears throat> 20 feet and just hover for 30 seconds, would you say, man, what have I been missing? I mean, I would be. It would change basketball. I mean, life would be totally different, right? What we have to realize is sometimes we don't know what we're missing. And when you get what you're missing, it's an incredible thing that happens. Okay, so there's a spiritual. uh, He's he's healed. His neighbors don't know much about him. Some said, uh, is this he who was sitting by the the wayside and begging? And the others said, no, it can't be him. He looks different. No, no, it is me. It's me. It was me. Well, who did this? Some guy named Jesus. So then they take him. This story is very interesting. They take him to a group of leaders, Pharisees, priests. And unfortunately, these people didn't like Jesus. They had an agenda to get rid of Jesus. And, oh, did I tell you what day he was healed on? It was Sabbath. He was healed on a Sabbath. And so here he is, he's healed on a Sabbath. They take him in, and this is in verse 13. They brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was in the Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight. And he said, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. I love that. Um, And they said, this man is not from God. He healed on the Sabbath. And he said, I don't know where he's from, but I can tell you this. I couldn't see. Now I can see. Um, uh, I love this story. Um, Then they said, you know what? We don't think you know what you're talking about. We're going to bring in your parents. So they brought his parents in. And the parents were brought in. And they were uh, standing there. I don't know how they looked, but they were a little nervous, as you can tell later in the story. They're nervous, and they're being told, uh, um, is this your son? Was he born blind? How was he made to see? And the parents said, "Um, he is our son. And he was born blind, but how he sees, we have no idea. Do you know why they said that? Because there was a rule that the leaders had made 
very sad rule. They said this, if anyone um, acknowledges Christ, he's going to be put out of the synagogue. What that meant is you were excommunicated out of the synagogue for 30 days. If anyone was born in your family, they couldn't be circumcised. If anyone died in your family, they could not be mourned. That was the official rules. Very cruel. Here is this beautiful, fantastic healing, and this kind of thing was being worried about. Anyhow, I digress. They say, hey, we don't know. Let him answer for himself. He's of age. And so they pass the buck, so to speak, back to their son. And uh, really, really neat, uh, this story, verse 24. So they again called a man who was blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And here's his answer, 25. Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. Amen. And then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Now, the way, they don't want to know now. They're trying to confuse him. And I love this because the book Desire of Ages says they thought that they were uh, uh, dealing with a simple man, but they were dealing with much more. Here's what it says. With many words, they tried to confuse him so that he might think himself deluded. Satan and his angels, who? Satan and his angels were on the side of the Pharisees and united their energies and subtlety with a man's reasoning in order to counteract the influence of God. They blunted the convictions that were deepening in many minds. This is what happened. You get in this argument. Are you sure? How did it happen? Come on. It can't be that way. Angels of God were also on the ground to strengthen the man who had his sight restored. When there's a battle, please know that Satan is not the only one on the ground. Angels of God are also there. Some of you may face battles in your life. Some of you may face battles in school. You may face battles at work. You may face battles in your home. And I want to let you know when the battles take place, it may feel like Satan is in charge at time, but God is also there. He gives strength. He doesn't keep bad things from happening sometimes, but he gives you strength to do the right. And that's what we see taking place in this story. The Pharisees did not realize they were, had to deal with any other than an uneducated man who had been born blind. They did not know Jesus with whom they were in controversy. Divine light shone into the chambers of the blind man's soul. As these hypocrites tried to make him disbelieve, God helped them to show by the vigor and pointedness of his replies that he was not to be ensnared. And then he gives this speech, one of my favorite speeches in the Bible starting with verse 30. I'm going to try to read it with some emphasis. I hope you don't mind. John 9, verse 30. Why, this is a marvelous thing, that you do not know where he's from, yet he opened my eyes. Now, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Speech, he preaches to them. He shows their arguments are foolish. And then he gets to the real issue. He has to be from God. What do they do? They excommunicate him. They kick him out. 
wait a minute, the story's not supposed to end like that. He did the right thing. He stood up for God, and now he's kicked out of the church. The story's not quite over yet. Verse 35, John chapter 9. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Verse 38, Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus revealed himself to the one who had formerly been blind, and he accepted him as the Son of God. Who was Jesus to the Pharisees? Would you say he was a troubler? To the Pharisees, who was Jesus? Someone who was in their way? Competition? Who was Jesus to the Pharisees? Yeah. So who was Jesus to the blind man, the former blind man? He's the one who gave him sight. He was his light. And he now is his son of God, the one whom he worships. My question for you is, who is God to you? Who is Jesus to you? Has he brought light into your life? Have you let him be your light? Let me rephrase that. See, can I, can I direct our attention to the tomato plant? A little bit of light is enough to survive, but it's not enough to thrive. A little bit of light is enough to kind of just stay there and exist. But it's not enough life to have fruit and really live. What amount of light do you want? Do you want enough life to exist? Or do you want enough light to thrive? I don't want to be like this. And right at the rate I'm going, it could be three years. It's just, it's, it's not going to be much more than this unless I find some sun for it and more than four hours a day. We can always get just enough light to exist, but we need enough light to thrive. How many of you want to have that kind of light in your life? Me too. Let's pray. Father, our desire is to have your sun shine in our lives 24-7. We want to know what it is to thrive because the light of life is in our hearts. Please bless each of us. Help us to understand this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God be with each one of you. I will see you next week. I'm heading over to Harmony Church for the remainder of their inaugural service.